We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Exodus 17. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is God's word. Father, we, we confess you are among us right now. Your spirit is present here with us. God, we, we know that to be true even when we don't feel it. And so we pray, God, that you would be present and you would be felt. And God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive your word. God, open up our eyes to see the things that you are doing in our lives and in this world. God, would you speak through me and would you keep me from saying anything that is not of you? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so a little backstory because we we skipped a little bit, right? We talked about the calling of Abraham last week. And so a little backstory on that is Abraham was called and chosen that God would start a family out of him. And by the way, like they were super past the age of childbearing. They were really old. And God said, I'm going to give you a child. Not only that, I'm going to make a whole entire family and a whole entire nation out of you, Abraham. And one day that nation will grow and fill and it will be a blessing to the world. And so Abraham has a son and then that son has another son. And that son, uh, eventually his name gets changed to Israel, which means actually wrestling with God. And he did just that. And then that son has 12 sons, which would later be uh, called the tribes of Israel. There would be 12 tribes of Israel that would be named after those 12 sons. And they took a family vacation one time to a place called Egypt. Nice little trip because they didn't have any food and they didn't have any water where they were. And so they went to Egypt to get some help. Now, there's a whole lot of details in there. I'm glossing over you guys, but I'm giving you the summarized version here, okay? The Cliff's Notes. They get to Egypt, everything's really good. And then you close the book on that chapter, you turn the page, and you find out things did not stay good. Not for very long. Another pharaoh, a king of Egypt, rose into power and was threatened by the amount of Israelites that were growing in his land. And so in order to make sure that he kept them in line, they enslaved them. 
and they made them work really hard and they fed them very little and they made them camp on the outskirts of their land, somewhat away from the rest of their people. And for 400 years, Israel was enslaved there in Egypt. 400 years. Generation came and generation went. And they heard the story that God had called their ancestor Abraham to start a nation out of and to be a blessing to all the other nations and that he would actually bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. And here was Egypt cursing them, making them slaves. And where's God, right? Like, God, are you going to come through on your promise? And so finally, after 400 years, God does just that. He curses the Egyptians who had been cursing his people. And through a series of 10 plagues, one of those being when Moses takes a staff and God tells him to go and and strike the Nile River, which was their source of life, this great river that ran through their land. And the water turned into blood. And then the last one finally being when God sends an angel of destruction to come through and actually kills the firstborn of every household that had not put the blood of a lamb over their doorpost. Now I know, glossing over a lot of details here, that sounds like a weird story, right? (laughs) But it's actually a very important story to the faith of the Israelites and to our faith now as Christians. Because what God has said is, if you would trust me, what I'll do is I will take a substitute, the death of a spotless lamb, in place of the death of your firstborn. And so not only could the Israelites do this, but actually any of the Egyptians who lived around them, who heard this, who believed in the God of Israel, could have also done this. And a lot of historians think that some did. So they would take the blood of the land, smear the doorpost, and when this angel of death came through, he would pass over those homes and everyone would be safe there. But in Pharaoh's household, and in most of the Egyptians' households, they woke up to blood-curdling screams when they saw death that night. But that death led to the salvation of Israel. They were able then to finally leave Egypt, to leave their slavery, and head out to freedom, to a land that God had promised them. But wait, not so fast, right? Because Pharaoh suddenly changes his mind, and he sends an army after them. And this army comes chasing them down. And now they're stuck in this peninsula area between a sea, it's called the Red Sea, and a whole army from Egypt. God, what are we going to do? Did you lead us out here to die? And God shows up again and he amazingly parts the sea, like just sticks his hand there and spreads it wide open and there's dry land. And so all of Israel could walk across. By the way, it was thought that there was around 2 million people and the clan of Israel at this time. Two million people that they're just walking together, right? So they walk across the sea, and as the Egyptian army comes after them, God then removes his hand and allows the sea to swallow them up. Again, that death of their enemy led to their salvation. And so they find their way safely across. So now they're in the wilderness, right? And I think it's kind of funny, a little ironic, that we come to this story today where they're in a place where there's no water, And this Sunday, we have no water in this building. Does anyone else find that ironic at all? I was like, okay, God, like, thanks for making this illustration for us so I didn't have to come up with one. That's really good. Have you guys ever been in a place where you're, like, really, really thirsty? Now, what happens? Because, like, when you get hungry, you start to get, at least I do, I get a little, like, angry, right? You get hangry. 
Like everything sets you off. I'm like, don't talk to me until I get some food in me. Uh, what happens when you guys get thirsty? What comes out of you? No one's going to be honest. Do, do you, are you maybe not at your best in those moments? Right? I, I don't think clearly. I get just as angry as I do when I'm hangry. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like ravenous. Like I, I like literally can't do anything or focus on anything until I get some water. When I start to get that cotton mouth, when I'm starting to feel a little dehydrated. Now, a lot of us in Arizona walk around dehydrated all the time and you don't even know it. And that's why people are, it's like dangerous to go hiking here because no one thinks about bringing water in Arizona, you guys. Like drink tons of water, please. But a lot of times we don't even realize it. And so that's why you don't know, like, why do I have headaches all the time, right? Why am I irritated all the time? Drink a little bit of water. It'll help you. That's not the sermon. But <laughs> Israel is out here in the wilderness and guess what? They're thirsty. They're in the wilderness. Now, a lot of times your translation, it might change that to desert. It doesn't necessarily mean desert. There were some desert places. Wilderness means there's a place that lacks resources, right? There's a place that has not been tilled. It has not been ordered and organized for life to happen there. And so it's just, it's like land that, you know, you see even between here and Texas, you know, when you're driving on the I-40, there's like nothing there, right? So it's, that's what wilderness means. So there's not a lot of resources. So they get there and they're probably hungry and they're definitely thirsty at this point. And they're wondering like, why did we just come out here? Now, hearing that back to back to the story I just told, how God had miraculously rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and had brought them across that sea in an amazing way, I read this and I go, come on, guys. Like, you know, like God's right there. He's going to do a miracle again. But when you're in that moment, right, when you're, when you're faced with that thirst or that hunger or you're like, I don't have what I need to survive, what's going to happen? I can see how psychologically you're not thinking straight. That happens to us. I remember when I used to wrestle in high school, we couldn't take our water bottles into the wrestling room. There just wasn't space for it. So what our coach did is he had put one of those big orange Gatorade bottles up on a stand, like a shelf up in the corner of the room. But we were only allowed to drink water when he let us, right? And so the wrestling room, by the way, if you like, one time I cupped my hand along the wall and it was like the condensation and sweat was just, it was like there. Like I could fill my hand with a cup of sweat. It was 100 degrees in there on purpose and it, like 25 people in this little room and we're all working really hard for two hours. It was nasty. And we were losing a lot of water weight. And so every now and then he'd be like, hey, go, go get some water and then come back. And so we'd all line up at that orange Gatorade jug and wait our turn with anticipation. And one day I got to the jug, it was my turn. And I start, you know, you waterfall it. That's what you do there because we didn't have anything to fill it in. So you press the button and you get under it. And the best thing in the world happened. Like the, the most amazing flavor hit my tongue. And I was like, this is not water. It was Gatorade, you guys. It was incredible. When you have no electrolytes, when you have, like, you're, you're sweating out all your water weight and you have depleted your resources and your nutrients, that Gatorade was like, oh my goodness. Like everybody, I was like, why is everyone taking so much longer at the, at the jug today? And I found out why. Like, that was why. 
we couldn't get enough of it. And I saw my coach standing there at the side of the room just like grinning. Like he was just like waiting, like wait till they see what's in there today. It was like this treat he had given us, right? Uh, and it was just, it was sweet. And then the next day, everyone was like, oh, it's just water today, guys, <laughs> which was a little bit of a letdown, but we actually needed water, right? And in the same way, actually in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 81, it does a retelling of this story and another time, similarly, where Moses strikes a rock and water comes out of it. And in those retellings, they actually say the phrase, there was honey from the rock. Now, it was water, right? It was water. But what they're saying is, there's two actual possibilities. It could be they're saying it was so sweet to have that relief that God had provided for us in the wilderness. When we didn't have water, he made water out of a rock. Like, how sweet is that, right? So it could be this poetry to talk about that. It also could be because honey in that time was like such a huge source of nourishment and they didn't have refined sugar and corn syrup like we do. So it was like, that was what you had for a treat, right? And so there also, it also could just be a way of saying, like, God gave us everything we needed in the wilderness, and it was good. The manna that fell from the sky. That's another story we skipped over, but God actually caused bread to be there on the ground the next morning every time they would wake up so that they would have something to eat. And it was described to be sweet like honey. That God not only provided for them, but he gave them something good to enjoy. So they're out there in the wilderness, and they're, they're thirsty. And water's going to come from a rock. It's such a weird story, you guys. It really is. But I think to help us understand it more, and to help us understand more of what's going on in this wilderness altogether, we need to again, rewind and back up actually to the beginning of the story uh, to see what God was doing at the very beginning of the world at creation when the world was what's called wild and waste. It was a wilderness. It lacked resources. It wasn't ordered for life, right? And so let's rewind to the very beginning in Genesis when God creates the world in, we're told, in six days. Now, we're not going to argue or debate whether that was a literal six days or not. That's not the point of what I'm saying today, and it's even not the point that Moses was making when he wrote that. The point is how God created life where there was no life. And so what we could see is actually these six days are ordered in two sets of three because they correspond with each other. So the first three days line up with the second set of three days. So I drew a little chart for us yesterday to help us see this. Here's days one, two, and three, okay? In day one, what God does is he separates night from day. He separates the light from the darkness. In day two, he separates the waters below from the waters above, and he creates this area in between called sky, okay? Day three, he separates the waters on the ground and allows dry land to form. See, what he's doing is he's, he's separating, creating space and order for life to happen. Now, in this second set of three days, what we're going to see is God's going to fill each of those spaces, and they're going to correspond. So day four matches day one. Day five matches day two. Here, you'll see it. Here's a picture. This is why I drew a picture. It's not the best picture, I know, but day four, God fills the night and day. He fills the light and darkness with the things in the sky, the moon and the sun specifically, we're told. You see how that matches up? Day five, he fills the sky he had created with birds. And he fills the waters that he had separated 
with sea creatures. Day six, on this dry land where he allowed vegetation to grow, it now becomes food for the humans and the animals. And the animals then are given, this is like this uh, huge climactic moment from all the days. The humans are given authority to rule over all the land and the animals, okay? So food, provision, and authority. And then finally, we get to day seven, and God calls the day holy. It's a day of rest. He settles into that space with them, and he allows rest to happen. Now, here's something really fascinating. Uh, When you go through the story of Exodus, Israel actually wanders around for a couple years before they see the promised land. And then when they see the promised land, they doubt that God's going to give it to them. And because of that, they are told they're going to wander 40 years. And so it ends up being around 38 after that because they already spent around two. And in those two years, they go to six different wilderness places that are named. If you were to read through the story starting in Exodus 13, you will find six times that it says they were in the wilderness of Shur, the wilderness of Etham, the wilderness of Paran, and so on. Six different ones. And check this out, you guys. For this next picture here, here are six wildernesses, and they line up perfectly with the six days of creation. The first one, wilderness of Etham, what God does is he leads them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, lining up with how he had set up part the night and the day and the first day and filled it with the moon and the sun and the fourth day. The fourth wilderness lines up too. They get to this place called Mount Sinai. You know, there's actually two names for that place. Mount Sinai is also called Mount Horeb. And Sinai comes from this word that means moon. Horeb comes from a word that means sun. And when I first came across, I was like, is this a coincidence? But you see it happen all the way down in the other wildernesses too. And so in this second wilderness, when God had separated the waters to make space for the sky, you see the bitter waters of Mara. Like the people show up, it's one of these other times where they're thirsty and they see water, but it's not good for them to drink. There's something not safe about it. And so God tells Moses to throw a tree into it, like throw a piece of like a log or something, and it somehow makes the water good and they can drink from it, right? And then the fifth wilderness of Paran, It's when he rains down quail, right? You see how that matches up with day five when God created birds to fill the sky? He rains down quail for them to eat because they're complaining about this manna and he's going, all right, fine. You you don't want to eat bread anymore? I'll give you quail till it comes out of your nostrils. I love the humor of God, you guys. Uh, This third day and sixth, third desert and sixth desert, they line up. This is the one we just heard about. Uh, They were leaving the wilderness of sin. By the way, that doesn't mean, this is a little side note, it doesn't mean sin the way we think sin. Uh, it actually is related to Sinai and it means moon. Just a little sidebar there. So this is when, uh, when there's dry land and God causes vegetation, food. He gives them manna, food, right? They also start to test their leadership. They go and they grumble against Moses and Aaron, right? Who were given authority over them. When they get to the sixth desert, they go and they spy on the land and they see the produce of Canaan, the vegetation, and they say it's good. But they see the Canaanites there and they get scared. We can't take authority over that land. 
It's not ours. And so they subvert their authority that God had told them would belong to them. And then they go and they try to appoint another leader in place of Moses to bring them back to Egypt. It's crazy. So you see what's happening there. And then they finally get into the Holy Land in Joshua. And when Joshua gets there, he sees an angel, like a warrior from God with a sword standing there. And he tells him, take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. The same way God declared the seventh day holy in the beginning, he declares this to be holy land that you are entering into. And then the sun, there's this crazy story where the sun sits still for 24 hours. It rests. Cool picture, right? Cool story, Chris. Thanks for that. Like, I was trying to explain it to Bethany throughout the week, and she's like, that's really confusing, man. Like, you got to draw a picture. Like, so I, don't, I probably lost you guys like five minutes ago. I don't know. But why am I sharing all this? Why does this matter? I want us to see how God, over a period of a couple years, very meticulously and very intentionally and purposefully was showing, I am reclaiming my world. He was showing them, I have not given up on my story. You're still going to be made to be my representatives, my appointed rulers, and I am bringing life and order and creation back to the wilderness. Now listen, that happens over a period of a couple years. So wouldn't you imagine that if you're those people, you're not seeing this picture, right? Moses didn't draw this out for them. And you're going through and you're wandering and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you're wondering where in the world is God? You don't necessarily see how God is actually very much in control and at work through all of it. And I think that applies for us because there's times where we are going through our own kind of wilderness, aren't we? And we're like, what's, what's happening? Like, what's God doing here? Where is he? And I just, I want us to see that, that there are times where you don't see it in your lifetime or you don't see it till much later that God is actually very much at work. And not only is he at work doing something to restore what had been lost, but he's present with you in it. Let me read from Exodus again real quick and and let's just hear the presence of God there. Okay, in Exodus 17, the entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next. Why were they moving from one place to the next? Because God was leading them by the pillars of cloud and smoke that had already happened in the first wilderness. According to the Lord's command, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So that's their focus, right? They're focusing on their lack, what we don't have. So the people complained to Moses, of course, like Moses is in charge, I think, right? They forget that God's actually in charge. Moses, give us something to drink. Why are you complaining to me? He replied, why are you testing the Lord? Moses knows, no, God's right here. He's doing this. But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against him. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord. You hear the presence of the Lord? He's there for, God to, for Moses to cry out to. He knows God's going to hear me. He cries out to the Lord. Is that, what's our response? What's our flinch when we're going through the wilderness places of our life? when we have the spiritual wildernesses inside or we have the wildernesses of life and relationships and brokenness around us, is our response to cry out to God? 
Or do we go find a solution somewhere else? Like they went to Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're going to stone me. So listen, here's something we need to know for context. They're not just a little thirsty. And they're not just a little angry with Moses. Actually, that word that's used there, it often gets translated to grumbled or quarreled. It actually is like a legal word. When it says they quarreled with him, I have a quarrel with you. What that means is, actually, I'm, I'm taking you to court. We're going to settle this legally. And this is why we see God tells Moses, bring the elders with you. You would bring the elders with you when you're about to make a judicial decision. Okay, he tells him, get your staff, because that was a symbol of authority that he went and challenged the authority of Pharaoh with when they were in Egypt, right? They're about to go to court. They're challenging, should he really be in charge or not? And if he shouldn't be, if that's what they deem, if that's what they decide, like, no, Moses shouldn't be running the show here. He shouldn't be calling the shots. The penalty is they were going to kill him. That's what it meant to stone him. You pick up some stones, you throw it at his head until he falls down dead. It's kind of a barbaric, archaic way of settling things, but that's how it would have been done, right? So that's the context. Like, his life is actually at stake here. And he cries out to God, like he's in his own wilderness. And God responds, go on ahead of the people. Take some of the elders with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with. And go, I am going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and people will drink. Remember, two million people. It wasn't like you tap it and there's a little trickle of water. It would gush forth a spring in order to allow two million people to drink from. It's an incredible miracle. But let's not miss what he said right before that. I'm going to stand before you like in a courtroom, I'll stand before you. I'm on trial, God says. And not only that, he's standing at the rock and he tells Moses to strike the rock. Moses is afraid he's about to get struck with rocks himself. And God says, no, 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 strike me. Strike me instead. And when Moses goes to strike where the Lord is standing, Water and provision and life spring forth. In the same way we've seen him deal through Egypt and through the wilderness, that out of the death of one comes life for others. Now I want us to hear this. In John, actually no, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 first. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul wrote this. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. He's talking about the pillar of cloud that God led them through. All passed through the sea, that Red Sea we talked about. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse three, they all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna that came from the sky. And all drank the same spiritual drink. That's the water that came from the rock. Now, listen to this. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was... That rock was Christ. The Lord was very much present there with them in the midst of their wilderness, in the midst of their lack, in the midst of their want, in the midst of their grumbling and quarreling and complaining. The Lord was there. And he says, strike me. And when you do, life will spring forth from that. 
Now, Jesus makes this clear himself too. We don't just need the words of Paul to show us this. There was a time Jesus went to a festival and it was the festival of the booths. And what this was is they would set up tents every year to remember how they wandered through the wilderness and they had to camp in the wilderness and put up tents for 40 years, right? And so they remembered through this festival how God provided for them in the midst of that. And on the last day, what they would do is they would have a water ceremony to remember these moments when God provided water when there was no water. Now listen to this. In John 7, verse 37, Jesus is at this festival. And on the last and most important day of the festival, it's important we know that context, that they're celebrating the provision of water in the wilderness on this day. On that day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When was Jesus glorified? When was the spirit given? After Jesus himself was struck down. When the rock was struck when Jesus went into the tomb with a giant rock, a stone rolled in front of it. And then when he burst forth out of it, three days later, the spirit of God then was given to those who would trust in him. Come to me if you are thirsty. If you're in the wilderness places of life, if you're in a spiritual wilderness, if you have wilderness going on around you, like things are not the way they should be in your life, Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty and I will give you living water. I will be what you need. I will supply what you desire. In the same way that Moses struck where the Lord stood in the wilderness a long time ago, Jesus was struck down so that we could have the nourishment and the life that we need. And as he rises and as he gives his spirit to his followers, do you know now you get to go and bring streams of living water to the world around you. Like if you are in Jesus, you have the spirit of God in you now. And he says that living streams will flow through you out to others through the spirit of God. Do you feel nourished today? Or do you feel thirsty? Life's a little bit of both, isn't it? Let's just be real. There's times where it feels like God satisfies and there's times where it feels like we're longing for something. It's okay to be honest with your longing and your thirst, but who do you cry out to? Who do you go to, to be filled and to be satisfied? Let's go to Jesus this morning as we go to the table.